It's been seven weeks uh, since our last installment, hard to believe, uh, in the Unforced Rhythms series, looking at the spiritual disciplines. Uh, but today we're back on track. Uh, here is the list of the uh, disciplines that we looked at from September through to the end of November. So we looked at worship, Sabbath, confession, examine, unplugging, silence and solitude, service, fasting, Bible intake, meditation upon scripture, gratitude, and stewardship. But there's kind of been one glaring omission, or rather one core discipline of the Christian faith that we have surprisingly not covered to date, and that is prayer. And I'm sure some people have been thinking or might argue, how can you do a series on spiritual disciplines and not start there? How can you do a series like this and not begin by looking at prayer? And that's a fair point. It's a good question. In the book that uh, many of us have been reading together that accompanies this series, Donald Whitney writes that of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is second only to the intake of God's word in importance. So although he doesn't appear to see prayer as number one, he clearly believes it comes a very close second. Whereas Tim Keller, in, in his recent little book, simply called Prayer, says there is nothing more important or harder or richer or more life-altering. There is absolutely nothing so great as prayer. Now, there's no real reason why we have left it until now to consider this discipline, other than I thought it might be a good one. It might be a good way to start a brand new year. And so we're here now. We're here now. And we're actually going to look at this discipline twice today, this morning and this evening. It's going to be in two parts. But all that aside, I guarantee you, whether you think it should be number one, or it should be number two, or it should be number 14 on a list, I guarantee you we all know, we all realize, we all believe that prayer is a fundamental and vital discipline of Christian faith and discipleship. I doubt there's anybody here this morning who would deny that. So then... Here's the question, or here's the issue, or certainly one reasonably big one. In light of that, how come most Christians reckon they don't pray as often or as much as they should? Plus, how come recent statistical surveys and experience seem to reveal that a large percentage of professing Christians spend very little time in sustained prayer. While they may offer a sentence of prayer here and there throughout their day, they rarely spend more than a few minutes, if that, alone in conversation with God on a daily basis. Why is that? Plus, if prayer 
genuinely is the quote of phrase that I've used recently. If prayer genuinely is the lifeblood of a Christian and if it is the lifeblood of a church, how come the church prayer meeting is one of the least attended and increasingly so, the least attended gatherings, priorities in the church calendar? Why is that? When it comes to prayer and the discipline of prayer, is there a gap? Is there a huge gap between what we believe about prayer and how we behave when it comes to prayer? And is that gap widening? And is it a contradictory gap? Or is there something more going on at a deeper level? Now, in saying that, and and maybe people are beginning to feel a little uncomfortable, I, I, I fully appreciate. You see, when it comes to this discipline, it's dead easy to make people feel guilty. It really, really is. It would not be hard for me to get up here and make people feel God at because of a failure to pray enough or to come together to pray. And I can honestly say, and I hope you know me well enough, that's not my intention this morning. It's not my aim today. I mean, none of you need that. Nobody wants it, none of you deserves it. But although that is true, and you've got to trust me that this is not my intention this morning, but I cannot get away from the obvious fact that prayer is central and essential. If we're going to grow as Christians, if we're going to grow as a church, if we're going to survive as Christians, if we're going to survive as a church... I think it was Luther who said that to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Plus, if we're going to become like, or more importantly, if we're going to become more like Jesus, and if we're going to increasingly walk as Christ walked, then we simply must pray. And it honestly is as simple as that. If we are Christians, if we are disciples, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, We who claim to live in God, and we say this time and time again, it's 1 John 2 verse 6, we who claim to live in God must walk as Christ walked, and therefore we must pray. We must be a people of prayer, which takes us back to the four key and main reasons for spiritual disciplines, the four reasons that we keep returning to for doing spiritual disciplines. Remember, they are not an end in themselves. They are a means to an end. And so right at the beginning of this series, and if you were at church last Sunday night, this should be fresh. But all along, we have been stressing the following four reasons for spiritual disciplines. It's not to tick boxes. It's not to be legalistic. Here's the four reasons we do spiritual disciplines for godliness. Paul says to Timothy, discipline yourself. Why? For the purpose of godliness. We do spiritual disciplines to be godly, to be holy, to be more like Jesus. And therefore, this series has never been about getting more people doing more spiritual disciplines. This series has always and ultimately been about more people becoming more like Jesus. 
Secondly, we do them for intimacy. We do them to nurture our interactive relationship with the Father. Thirdly, we do them because Jesus did them. The most perfect person who ever lived, the Son of God, God incarnate, did them. Plus, we do them to guard our hearts. Spiritual disciplines are great heart protectors. And when it comes to prayer, those four reasons are particularly relevant and blatant and pertinent. And so we pray to become godly. We pray to become more like Jesus. We pray because Jesus prayed. We pray because as with any relationship or friendship, communication nurtures relationship. And we pray because this is a discipline, unlike probably any other that safeguards your heart. Without prayer, your heart is left exposed and vulnerable. And so as we revisit this foundational discipline, let me begin or go back to the example of Jesus and the model that he set, bearing in mind, as I say, that to be a Christian is to be a follower. That's the definition. That's what it means. Little Christs. To be a Christian is to be a follower. It is to be a learner. It is to be a pupil of Jesus, which means that every Christian has got to, at the very least, note the place and practice of prayer in his life. Now, I know you could spend an entire sermon looking at this, but let me quickly summarize the place of prayer in the life of Jesus. So Jesus talked about prayer a lot. And he explicitly taught his disciples how to pray. Jesus healed people with prayers. And he insisted that some demons could only be cast out by prayer, even though during some of those most dramatic of encounters, Jesus didn't actually pray in the moment because clearly prayer was a way of life. But he did say that these kind, these kind of things that need to be driven out of people, they only come out by prayer. Jesus prayed often. We don't know exactly how often Jesus prayed, but time and time again, we read that he got up early in the morning, left wherever he was staying, went to a quiet place to be alone with his father. We read sometimes Jesus prayed all night. Jesus' prayer life was consistent, and at times it was intense. Let me read you a verse that I must admit, I don't know if I've really ever come across before or at least noticed before. Hebrews 5 verse 7 says this, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. His prayer life was clearly consistent during the days of his life, but it was intense. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus and he was anointed when? When he was praying. Jesus was transfigured in front of Peter, James, and John, it says, as he was praying. When Jesus faced his greatest crisis, he did so with prayer. The night before Jesus died, he prayed for his disciples. He prayed for the church. We can actually read his prayer for the disciples and for us, John 17. And then we know that Jesus prayed in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, And finally, Jesus died praying. Jesus died praying. Praying for the forgiveness of others. Crying out to God, why have you forsaken me? 
It's just a snapshot, and hopefully it makes the point, but if we are going to be or claim to be authentic followers of Jesus in our day, then prayer and the practice of prayer has got to be Christ-like. It's got to be a critical characteristic. It's got to be a focal feature of our discipleship, of our individual lives and of our corporate lives together. We will not be like, we will never be like Jesus without prayer. Never. I said a moment ago that Jesus also explicitly taught his disciples to pray. In fact, it would seem from the language Jesus used as he often talked about this subject, it wasn't that he wanted to teach his disciples to pray even when they asked him. It was that he expected his disciples to pray. So just look at some of these phrases that Jesus said, and when you pray, but when you pray, and when you pray, pray like this. And I tell you, as he talked about prayer, ask and seek and knock. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray. And as you read through the Gospels, and as you read beyond the Gospels and into the New Testament epistles, the teaching about the expectation to pray continues to echo the example and model of Jesus. And so in Acts chapter 1, that as the disciples prepare for the future, what are they doing? We find them, Acts chapter 1 verse 14, we find them constantly in prayer. Whenever the promised Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and the church is ignited and the church is established, one of the immediate aspects of their lives together is what? It's a devotion to prayer. And so we read Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to prayer or to the prayers. Whenever the Apostle Paul was writing to new churches and believers, his advice, his instructions almost always included the importance of prayer. Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Ephesians 6.18, and pray in the Spirit when? On all occasions, with all kinds of prayers. And so the point is, the biblical point is, prayer is and has got to be part and parcel of Christian life and discipleship. It just has. And if it's not, and I honestly, I'm speaking to myself this morning, and I mean that. If it's not part and parcel of my Christian faith and discipleship, then serious questions need to be asked about the authenticity of my claims. This is what I believe. That it was over this side, wasn't it? This is what I believe. But sometimes this is how I behave. And there's this huge chasm. And it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. Donald Whitney quotes Luther in, in his book and says this, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. Keller, he puts it like this, prayer is so great that wherever you look in the Bible, it is there. Why? Everywhere God is, prayer is. And since God is everywhere and infinitely great, prayer must be, and I love this thought, prayer must be all pervasive in our lives. So we pray because Jesus prayed. We pray because Jesus taught us to pray. We pray because Jesus expects his disciples to pray. And we pray because as New Testament Christians, we are encouraged to be devoted to ceaseless praying. A prayerless Christian is an oxymoron. So it's our duty 
to pray, but far more than that, it's our privilege, the ability, the right, the chance to talk to and to interact with the creator of the world, the God of the universe, our heavenly father. That is an awesome prerogative. It's an awesome opportunity and gift. And therefore, a failure to pray is actually tragic. Keller goes further. He writes, don't know what you think of this. To fail to pray then is not to merely break some religious rule. It is a failure to treat God as God. A failure to pray is a sin against his glory. That's strong. But that's worth considering. And so as Christians and for Christians, it's, it's, it's our duty to pray. But it's not so much our duty, it's a privilege. And in fact, it's not so much a privilege as it is an expression of life. We need to pray. It's oxygen for our souls. It's the air we breathe. And so before we move on, let me ask you if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, how is your, how is your prayer life? How is this core spiritual discipline seen and practiced in your life right now? What does it look like in this past week? What does it look like on your own? What does it look like with others? Are you in need of a new year reboot, refresh, rediscovery? The biblical place and priority of prayer, it's just a given. And I haven't even referred to the Old Testament, nor to the Psalms, which is the very prayer book of the Bible. But with all those points made and the importance emphasized, and, and as I said at the very start, I will guarantee you there's nobody sitting here this morning who doesn't know all of that, who doesn't agree with all of that, who doesn't accept all of that. So we do need to get real and we do need to ask, why then do I? Why then do so many of us struggle to pray on a consistent basis? Why do we neglect prayer in the place of prayer, personally, corporately? Let me offer you three reasons. Uh, and for those of you who have read the book, you'll be familiar with these. These are not all the reasons. And in some ways it kind of needs to start, and I, I haven't got this up here, and as I've been kind of mulling it over a wee bit more, I kind of wish I had started with this one. But it could be due to a lack of heart. And I know I keep banging on about it. the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. But it just could be your heart's not in it. For whatever reason, you've lost heart and that could be the reason that you don't pray as often or as much as you think you should. But here's another problem. It's lack of discipline. It's lack of discipline. And I know it's a cliche, but you know if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And for me, 
I've just got to be honest, unless I plan it, unless I allot time for it, unless I schedule it in, it just doesn't happen. That's me just being really honest. Unless I plan for it to happen, it doesn't happen. Certainly not sustained prayer. And yes, the arrow prayers, the quick prayers, the sentence prayers, they do happen. But this time alone with my Father on any kind of daily consistent basis, unless there's discipline, doesn't happen. There's always other things to do, aren't there? There's always things we should do, we could do. In fact, there's always lots of things we want to do. And therefore, prayer just gets crowded out. And this is one of those life principles. I mean, this is not not a unique thing to prayer or the spiritual death. This is just one of these life principles. Here we are at the start of a new year, and I'm sure some of us have made decisions about all kinds of things. Diet, healthy eating this year, exercise, better rhythms, better practices, priorities, a refocus, a renewed intention, a new interest. But you know something? Without discipline, none of those are going anywhere. Or at least, they certainly won't be sustained for the medium or long term. It's just a principle of life. And to pray requires discipline, and therefore it should be done regularly, persistently, resolutely, tenaciously, at least daily, whether we feel like it or not. And no Christian that I know has ever outgrown the need to struggle and persevere in prayer. They just don't. They never do. They never will. And so if prayer is going to be alive and well in our lives, if it's going to be reawakened, then discipline is essential. Discipline to be alone in prayer and discipline to gather with others for prayer. One of the key reasons I don't pray is because of a lack of discipline. Secondly, a lack of belief Because you know something, we're just sometimes not sure it really makes a difference. We're just not really sure anything happens. And this struggle takes different forms. And maybe we've been praying for, and we've been praying about something or someone for a while, and nothing is changing. In fact, the situation only seems to be getting worse. And therefore, we wonder, why do we bother? Or visible results, tangible outcomes are hard to see, especially in the short term. And therefore, we struggle and we wrestle to persevere in prayer. And so we do lose heart. Or maybe just prayer feels so vague and unspecific at times. And therefore, it feels like we're just going through the motions and we're just repeating certain words and phrases and requests day in and day out. And we're not seeing or sensing a shift in circumstances, a shift in a relationship, a shift in a concern, a shift in that person's life. And we just wonder, why do we do it? Or answers to prayer rarely come higher how we want or expect. And it's not that we don't believe God doesn't hear and we know that God answers our prayer. And we know this whole idea if God says yes, no, and wait and all of that. It's just that the answer or the response is always, it would seem, different from the one we want. And as for the time frame, that's just disappointing. And then there's the classic that's wrapped up in this. Like, God knows what I'm gonna pray anyway. God knows what I need and and he's going to do what he's going to do in that situation and in that life and therefore what really is the point in praying because at the end of the day it's all just a done deal. 
And so that those kind of things leave us feeling restless and frustrated. And, and then we sometimes begin to doubt the point of prayer or the power of it. And those are all genuine tensions. And I think that anyone who says other ways is being less than honest. But as F.B. Mayer wrote regarding prayer, maybe this is just too simplistic. But the great tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer. The great tragedy of life is unoffered prayer. And we need to admit there, there's an element of mystery in all of this. How can a finite human being enter into interactive dialogue with the infinite God of the universe? Hi, how, how does that work? Prayer involves communication, does it not, in the spiritual realm to an unseen God. So the chances of getting your head fully round this incredible privilege and duty and expression of life is at one level limited. Yes, it is. Absolutely is. And then added to that is the reality of an, another unseen enemy who does not want any of us to pray. Longs for us to question the point of prayer. Certainly wants us to become suspicious, suspicious of its impact and effect. And I don't, I don't exactly know what to say to you this morning in response to all of those things. Other than those are real. Other than those are what many of us feel and experience at times. And yet I just cannot get away from the fact that we need to pray, that we've got to pray, and that we've got to pray about everything. And the third and final reason why we don't do this, lack of discipline, or maybe let's start back there, lack of heart, lack of discipline, lack of belief. And then thirdly, and it follows on, it's a lack of felt presence. We just don't always sense God's nearness and presence. There are moments, yes, and some of them are sweet and they're intimate and they're personal moments whenever God feels closer than our skin. But there's also more times throughout the day and throughout the week whenever he feels further than the moon. And therefore the tendency or the desire to pray gets dialed down. It's weak. Especially when there are so many more immediate, more concrete, more material things and activities to be doing and to be getting on with. And all I can say into this is that our praying, as with so many aspects of the Christian faith, has got to be governed by the truth of Scripture rather than governed by our feelings and the frailty of our emotions. You see, if you only ever pray when you feel like it, if you only ever pray when God feels close, when God feels right there, then your prayer life is gonna be infrequent and erratic at best. Lack of heart, lack of discipline, lack of belief, lack of felt presence. Four potential reasons why not. Need to bring this to a close. Let me give you another reason why we maybe don't practice this as, as we should. And it takes us back to Scripture and it takes us back to the disciples who I think felt this tension, knew this tension, and so turned around to Jesus and said, Jesus, we need you to teach us how to do this. And I think a big part of this is that we haven't really learned to pray. We haven't really learned 
to pray. And so I just want to give you two final comments, two key ways to learn to pray. And the first is, and this is going to sound annoying, maybe even patronizing, but we learn to pray by praying. The best way to learn to pray is to pray. Andrew Murray, South African minister, said, reading a book about prayer, listening to a lecture, and talking about it's all very good, but it won't teach you to pray. You get nothing without exercise and without practice. I might listen for a year to a professor of music playing the most beautiful music, but it won't teach me to play an instrument. Do you know, if we want to learn how to pray and grow in prayer, we need to pray. We need to practice it. We just need to do it. It's as simple as that. But do remember, you're not on your own if you're a Christian. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And here's what God's Word teaches us about the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in you and the Holy Spirit helps you to pray. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And so many of us, I feel weak in this area. And so we do not know, says God's Word, what we ought to pray. But the Spirit himself is interceding for us through wordless groans. We're not on our own in this. But if we are going to learn how to pray, we need to pray. Secondly, we learn to pray by reading and meditating on Scripture. Prayer is, and I've been using this phrase this morning, it's an interactive conversation. And a critical and central way that God interacts with us and communicates with us is via and through his word. Eugene Peterson, the late Eugene Peterson, always said that your starting point for prayer must be immersion in God's word. The Bible is the way to actually listen to God, to hear God speak. And the Bible is the way, one key way of meeting God himself. God speaks to us in his word through his word. It's his living word. And so we respond in prayer as we speak to him, as he talks to us. And so we enter into this divine conversation. We enter into communion with the almighty God. And so we read a passage of scripture and then through meditation, we take on board, what is God saying to me today? What is he saying through his word? And as we read it, and as we meditate on it, we think about it and we digest it and we chew it over and we regurgitate it. And then we speak to God about what we've been hearing him say to us. So we pray about what we have heard and we pray about what we have personalized through meditation. Peter Toon writes this, to meditate and not pray is like preparing to run a race and never leaving the starting line. The three duties of reading scripture, meditation, and prayer, they belong together. And though each can be done occasionally on its own as formal duties to God, they are best done together. You see, if you really want to learn to pray and grow in prayer, then you must immerse yourself. You must read and meditate on God's word on a daily basis as part of and as a catalyst to your praying. And if you're here this morning, you go, yeah, that, that's all good, but, but what, what do I read each day? Where do I start? Maybe you don't use Bible reading routes. Maybe you don't have a plan for Bible reading. And again, what I've got with me this morning is this little thing that we've been making available to people. This little Bible reading plan that kind of takes you right through the Bible. Now, not all the Bible, so that it's manageable, it's doable. 
It's only a handful of verses a day, but it started on the 1st of January. It goes right through to the 31st of December. And if you do want one of those and use the reading that Ed suggests each day to listen to what God is saying to you by reading, immersing yourself in this word, it's God communicating with you and then using what you hear God saying to you to talk to him. We learn to pray by having an interactive conversation with the God of the universe. I need to finish. The spiritual discipline of prayer. It is so important. And one of the main reasons why so many Christians don't have a significant prayer life, as I'm speaking to myself, is not so much because I don't want to. It's because I just don't plan to. And general and good intentions have got to become specific plans. And so the question I face today is, am I going to pray today? And am I going to make plans to pray tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday? And my other specific challenge is this. If you don't normally or you don't ever attend the church prayer meeting, the corporate prayer gathering that is on this Wednesday night at Malone Avenue, 8 p.m. for one hour. Why not come along this week? Why not allow time for it, allot time for it, make time for it, and join with others in being devoted to prayer, which is something I'm going to try to tease out and wrestle with tonight. What does it actually mean to be devoted to prayer?